Welcome to the Red Light Report, your number one source for all things red light therapy, where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. Welcome back, everybody. Here we are, another episode, another solo sode on the Red Light Report. As I look out my window here, we have snow on the ground. I don't know where you guys are located, but maybe I've, I've seen a lot of pictures floating around across the U.S. of people getting snow as well, even further to the south, people in Utah, of course, people on the East Coast. So wherever you are, if you got snow, congratulations. <laughs> There's some years, even up here in Montana, where we don't get snow until sometimes after Christmas. We'll get a dusting or something, but the warmth or the sun will melt it away pretty quickly. So pretty interesting to have snow this early in the year, which... It's funny that we're saying November is early for snow because I think that used to be typical decades ago, whereas now we don't see snow or precip like we used to, and especially snow here in Montana. Gosh, growing up in elementary school, middle school, so we're talking late 90s, early 2000s, we would have snow days, and and it takes a lot to have a snow day up here in Montana, but I think I had one snow day, including high school, undergrad, and grad school, which is... 11 years of school, I think I had one more snow day. So yeah, it's, it's kind of fun to have snow on the ground. I don't really do much with it other than watch it. I'm not a skier or a, a snowman builder. At least I'm, I'm not currently, but might as well make use of the snow somehow, right? Other than watching it turn into slush and make the roads dirty. But pretty sure in the weather coming up here, it's going to be melted and gone. And we'll see if we even have snow for Christmas. So that's your weather report from Montana, from Western Montana. But let's move on, folks. Here we are. Another solo sode with some research round robin or some research snacks, if you will. I don't know if you guys have read books or, or, or followed some people that, that call like little lifting breaks or little exercise breaks like lifting snacks or exercise snacks or even like reading snacks if you need to take a break to read a book or just relax. So maybe we'll start calling these research snacks as I just cover some tidbits in the photobiomodulation world. But regardless, I hope you guys are doing great. We have Black Friday for BioLite coming up in a couple of weeks. So strap on your shoes and, and keep your ears posted and your eyes posted via email and social media. We did just have a pre-Black Friday sale this past weekend, which were the exact same discounts as we're going to have on Black Friday, just so people could snake some inventory before the masses arrive after Thanksgiving. But regardless, we'll have the same sale for that Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend. So stay posted for that. But let's move on to the research here. And this first one, it's going to be an article that might not be applicable for everyone, kind of like last time we talked about the chronic kidney disease. And even though that article didn't apply to a large proportion of the people, the principles and the information from that article did apply to everyone. And it's just good information and knowledge to have red light therapy as a whole. And I think this article is going to be the same thing as I read through it. So it's on cancer, which is a semi-popular topic because that is one of the areas that is a caution when it comes to red light therapy treatments. As a reminder, there are no contraindications for red light therapy treatments, which is one of the many amazing things about red light therapy is there's no condition or there's no health issue that you can't use red light therapy, again, according to the research. From a safety perspective, there are some cautionary things, and we've been over this multiple times at this point in the podcast, but 
for example, cancer, it's a caution or a precaution that you don't necessarily want to irradiate the active cancer area directly, but you can treat other areas of the body. Same thing with a pregnant woman, whether the baby is still in the womb or breastfeeding, maybe don't directly irradiate those areas, just treat other parts of the body. And again, that's not to say treating those areas directly is a bad thing or would lead to negative consequences. We just don't know yet. So err on the side of caution. But I think this article is going to be illuminating pun intended. We want red and near infrared illumination. (laughs) Um, But this one has to do with cancer patients, specifically head and neck cancer patients, which is actually one of the more popular areas that's researched in the photobiomodulation research in cancer. It's head and neck cancer. And so this is from July of this year, July 2022. It is a review. But regardless, the information is pretty riveting. And I think we'll help shed some light onto how red and near infrared light can be utilized for people dealing with cancer and how it is safe and how people are getting positive results. So let's move forward here again from July 2022. Quality assessment of photobiomodulation protocols for oral complications in head and neck cancer patients. So, from kind of the overview or the abstract, this is what they have to say. They go on to say that the present review offers an overview of the literature on photobiomodulation therapy in head and neck cancer patients with radiotherapy-related side effects, specifically oral mucositis, xerostomia, which is dry mouth, dermatitis, pain, and trismus. And trismus is essentially lockjaw. So the most studied side effect of cancer treatment remains oral mucositis. Literature has increased substantially, outlining preventative, therapeutic, or combined protocols. The results sections of our literature review has provided reliable suggestions for creating an effective protocol. Photobiomodulation biological responses depend on the treatment parameters, delivery protocols, and redox state of the cells. So that's a good thing just to review quickly is that they're saying that the protocols for red light therapy depends on the parameters, meaning the spectrum of light and the power of the light or the light irradiance. Delivery protocols, are you using LED? Are you using laser? And then the redox state of the cells are essentially the health of your body, the health of your cells. The healthier you are, the less you're going to notice from red light therapy. You're still going to gain benefits, but the sicker you are, potentially the, the bigger the difference or the bigger the improvement you have, so you'll notice more. But also, when I think of the redox state of the cells, those that have more healing to be had are going to have a higher potential for feeling those detoxification symptoms. So if you're starting red light therapy for the first time and you're trying to heal your body, you may get some of these headache, nausea, malaise, lethargy, just not feeling well after your first handful of treatments because you're opening up pathways that haven't been open for a long time because, again, red light therapy is very pro-circulatory because it releases nitric oxide into the blood stream every time you do red light therapy. So if you're opening up pathways and you're releasing garbage and toxins into your circulation, you may get some of those symptoms. So that's not a bad thing. To me, that's a sign of healing. And so while it doesn't feel good, just remember that's part of the process for healing. And as you continue and you are consistent with your red light therapy treatments, those detox symptoms should dissipate until you don't feel those detox symptoms anymore. And you're just feeling great. You're feeling energized. You're feeling healthy. And that's kind of the healing process with red light therapy. 
And again, depending on what you're treating, depending on your health status, that recovery curve or that healing curve could be days, it could be weeks, could potentially be months if you're dealing with some type of chronic pain. So just keep that in mind. But let's move along here in the review article. They continue, it is well established that photobiomodulation dosing is biphasic and relies on the underlying pathology and patient-associated factors that may affect individual outcomes. Further, inappropriate dosing may result in poor or adverse therapeutic effects. And another aside here, when they're saying may result in poor or adverse therapeutic effects, again, that's not like you're doing damage to yourself. That just means you're not getting the results you're looking for. Or if you're on the right side of that biphasic dose response, meaning you overdosed or overtreated, so to speak, then you may get some of those detox-like symptoms. Even if you're quote-unquote healthy and you significantly overtreat, you can also get some of those symptoms of the headache or malaise or nausea just by simply overtreating. But again, that takes quite a bit to get to that point. But again, to their point, inappropriate dosing, whether it's undertreating or overtreating, can result in poor or adverse therapeutic effects, meaning either you don't see any effects or you get those overtreatment effects. So they continue that the photobiomodulation dose window is defined by correct treatment timing, the number of repetitions, such as repetitions per week, sometimes per day, and specific adaptation or of protocols for each indication. So even right in that first paragraph I read there, there's a lot of great information and a lot of great insight just into the world of red light therapy. But let's continue on. They go on to say that in general, photobiomodulation was noted to be effective in both the prevention and treatment of oral mucositis. That's a cancer-related condition. So the research is showing that red light therapy can be effective for both prevention and treatment of a cancer condition such as oral mucositis. It is almost universally accepted that the primary goal of treatment is reducing pain and improving quality of life. Most studies confirm this regardless of the protocol. Even the low photobiomodulation efficacy papers noted reduced severity of oral mucositis grades, meaning the reduced severity of oral mucositis, and fewer treatment interruptions during radiotherapy treatments. So, that's pretty profound that the last couple of sentences there, meaning when dealing with the side effects of cancer, you want to reduce pain, you want to improve quality of life any way you can. And regardless of the protocol used in these research articles that they looked at, they noticed that the studies showed reduced pain, the studies showed improved quality of life, regardless of the protocol. And so I want to take this moment to remind you guys, when you look at the protocols I have in the ebook. Again, some of the ranges can be rather wide, whether it's the duration of the treatment, how many times per week. The duration of treatment sometimes can be 5 to 10 minutes, 5 to 15 minutes, 2 to 5 times per week. But that window, that wide range is there because that's what the research is showing. And this is just another reminder that red light therapy is not a perfect science, and apparently it doesn't have to be to attain perfect results. And I know a lot of people want like cookie cutter protocols, like the exact minutes and the exact distance and the exact frequency per week and, you know, all that stuff. But again, according to the research, it doesn't need to be perfect. As long as you're within that range and the range can be relatively wide, it seems, as long as you're in that range, you're going to see benefits. You're going to see positive results. So I don't want people to get hung up on the exact time and the, the exact distance and the exact times per week you need to do a certain protocol for a certain condition. 
essentially, as long as you're consistently exposing yourself to these red and near infrared light throughout the week, you know, on a weekly basis, you're probably going to see some positive results. Because again, if your mitochondria are deprived of these wavelengths, all they need to be is immersed in a, in a consistent basis. Again, not too little, not too much, but again, that, that window seems to be fairly friendly in order to attain positive results. And, and this research article is corroborating that. So that's great to know as a user of red light therapy, whether you're experienced or a novice, you don't have to be perfect to get the results. You just need to essentially have consistent exposure on a consistent basis, not overdoing it, not underdoing it, but just consistently. All right, guys, as I promised, I am going to be offering you guys an exclusive 15% discount for the pre-sale order of The Matrix. Uh, like I spoke about earlier, this is a groundbreaking, innovative, patent-pending piece of technology from BioLite. It is literally a full-body red light therapy mat. You heard that right, a mat. It's a quarter of an inch thick. You can roll it up like a yoga mat. It has over 2,100 LEDs, and like all BioLite, light products, you have the option of choosing red and near-infrared light combo, red light only, or near-infrared light only. The dimensions are 69 inches by 34 inches, so you can either lay on it full body, cover it on top of your body like a blanket, roll up a section of your body, let's say your abdomen or one of your legs or one of your arms or a third or half of your body at once, roll yourself up like a bean burrito and literally give yourself a 360 degree red light therapy treatment. And more or less, you can think of this mat, the matrix, as the next phase of red light therapy because right now everyone has panels and there's a time in place for that, but I think now is the time for innovation and moving the needle forward on red light therapy technology. This red light therapy mat, the matrix, roll it up, you can sit on it, you can stand on it, you can lay on it, you can roll yourself up. It's extremely versatile. It's easy to take on the go, so you're not just bound to hanging it up on a door or a wall. It's very easy to take on the go, put it in the corner of your room so it takes up minimal room in your house. The options are endless, really. You guys, my loyal podcast audience, I'm going to offer you guys a 50 15% discount through pre-sale, which will be through the majority of October. So for the next three or four weeks from the recording of this podcast, you can get 15% and the discount code is simply podcast. So go to biolite.shop, check out the matrix. If you want this exclusive 15% discount, simply use coupon code podcast at checkout to receive that discount. And I know you guys are going to absolutely love this game changing product, the matrix. So let's move along here. We're, we're just getting started with this article. They go on to say that the photobiomodulation studies on salivary glands after radiotherapy, because again, one of the side effects of radiotherapy is hyposalivation, meaning you're not producing enough saliva. So that's one of the negative side effects. So again, the photobiomodulation studies on salivary glands after radiotherapy employed combined external and intraoral applications with both infrared and visible red wavelengths. So that's noteworthy. The studies use both external devices, whether let, let's say you're using a panel or a handheld device, and then you're shining it in towards the mouth, whether your mouth is open or through the cheek. And then they're also using intraoral devices, such as the Guardian, where it's like a mouthpiece or a mouth guard that you stick in your mouth and thus more directly irradiate the oral cavity. So the studies used uh, kind of a pish posh of everything, external devices, intraoral devices, and some used infrared and some used that visible red wavelength. Going on here, 
there appears to be a dose-effect relationship for photobiomodulation on reduction of hyposalivation after radiotherapy, especially after 15 sessions with red or combined red and infrared wavelengths. So for oral health or oral treating the oral cavity, red seems to be the most important. That must have to be inside the mouth, although don't quote me on that because the cheeks are a relatively thin tissue. So if you're trying to treat, let's say, the inner portion of the cheek, the red light may be able to get through the outer portion of the cheek, that skin area, and through to the inside. Because again, red light treats the skin, which has multiple layers. It just doesn't treat tissues deeper. So that makes me think red light has the potential to treat from the outside in, at least in the cheek surface. So that's interesting. Going forward, they say, in summary, the available evidence shows that photobiomodulation was satisfactory in managing complications related to cancer therapies, both in the prevention of onset and in the reduction of severity and duration, especially for oral mucositis. Objective and subjective parameters were studied with comparable rates of success and the favorable implications on quality of life outcomes and well-being accounted for most of the positive results expressed by the authors. Photobiomodulation generates beneficial effects including reducing of inflammation and pain, promoting tissue repair, reducing fibrosis, and favoring nerve regeneration. Therefore, it is clear why studies on photobiomodulation application cover a vast range of acute and chronic cancer-related complications in head and neck cancer patients. So that was a lot of positive information there in that paragraph. Basically, using red light therapy, if you know you're going to be exposed to radiotherapy, like if you have cancer, you know that's part of your treatment plan, you can use red light therapy beforehand, kind of like I've talked about doing pre-treatment before surgeries, whether it's like oral surgery or let's say you're getting an ACL repair or a total knee repair, doing treatments prior to the surgery or prior to radiotherapy, and I'm talking about weeks, if not months, of consistent red light therapy beforehand, that can actually significantly improve your recovery process or mitigate or prevent side effects like we're talking about here with cancer-related side effects. So pretty darn cool and pretty darn powerful. Once again, I mean, a non-invasive, very safe treatment option. Moving along here, they say that moreover, there is growing evidence that photobiomodulation is cost-effective both in preventing and treating cancer treatment-related toxicities such as oral mucositis and breast cancer-related lymphedema. This scenario may provide a wider acceptance of photobiomodulation at cancer treatment centers, especially if fomented by additional clinical studies to validate cost-effectiveness for preventing and managing cancer treatment-related toxicities other than oral mucositis. So, that was a long-winded way of saying, we need more research studies on things other than oral mucositis and to further validate the cost-effectiveness of red light therapy in order for there to be a wider acceptance of red light therapy in cancer treatment-related facilities. So we know that it works very well for oral mucositis because that's one of the most robust areas for cancer treatment with red light therapy. So we need to start looking into other types of cancers. How do those cancers respond to red light therapy? Another common one was the as it was mentioned, breast cancer-related lymphedema. So what else or how else can red light therapy be utilized when it's dealing with cancer, either cancer directly or in this case, cancer-related toxicities or cancer-related side effects? 
I have a sneaking suspicion that drug companies are not excited about the potential of light because if light can be used and it's more cost-effective and there's no negative side effects compared to pharmaceutical intervention, well, that's bad news bears for them. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of pushback or, or there's a lot of things going on behind closed doors to prevent things like light therapy and other alternative holistic therapies from becoming more popular. Because if they do, people aren't going to be turning to pharmaceuticals and that means less money in their pocket. So when in doubt, follow the money. But let's continue and, and finish this article here. They go, they go along to say that even in the case of different protocols applied to the same condition, the evoked photobiomodulation responses may vary. The absorption of light by a chromophore depends on the affinity with the used wavelength. Even if the wavelength falls within the correct absorption spectrum, low doses of energy are insufficient to start the biological effect, and excessive dosages can result in inhibitory. So that's another take-home point here. I'll finish this sentence here. Moreover, therapeutic responses are restricted to a limited therapeutic dose window termed the Arndt-Schultz curve. And the Arndt-Schultz curve is a biphasic dose response. It's that bell curve. So again, they're saying that even if you have the correct wavelength, that 660 red, that 850 near-infrared, if the dosages are too low and if the dosages are excessive, you will either have an insufficient amount to initiate that biological effect or that, that therapeutic effect, or the excessive dosages may inhibit your ability to get that wanted biological effect. So that's just a very good review and reminder of how light works in that biphasic dose response, or as they say, the Arndt-Schultz curve. So in conclusion, photobiomodulation seems to be an efficacious intervention for several complications of cancer therapy. Robust evidence of the clinical benefit elicited by the correct biological and molecular patterns of light stimulation exists. There is a strong perception that multiple protocols may be applied to similar conditions, but to maximize the effect on specific tissue targets, there is an urgent need for standardization and reproducibility of dosages. The increasing number of papers regarding the management of head-neck cancer complications via photobiomodulation witnesses a strong interest in the field. The very recent publications proposing dosage standardization indicate we are moving in the right direction. And so I love that conclusion because, like they're stating, the interest in red light therapy, but specific to this topic, the interest in cancer-related treatments via photobiomodulation is growing rapidly. And so as more and more research comes out, like they're saying, the standard dosages or the dosage standardization will become more clear and will have more precise ways or more defined ways to use red light therapy for a given condition or a given cancer condition. So that's very exciting. As they said, we're moving in the right direction. And moving on to the next research article, different topic, hopefully some more great information. This one is from June of this year, June 2022. It is entitled Phototherapy for Cognitive Function in Patients with Dementia, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. So again, a very, very strong piece of research. So let's move along here. They go on to say that a total of 31 articles were selected for this full text review and 13 articles were considered eligible for the quantitative meta-analysis. So they started with 
over 2,000 articles when they began their research. And then over time, based on terms, based on what they're trying to look for, they whittled that down to 13 to meet their criteria as far as red light therapy, photobiomodulation, and treating dementia. So going on here, to the best of our knowledge, this is the first meta-analysis to focus on cognitive changes after phototherapy in patients with dementia and to elaborate on domain-specific effects across global cognition, attention, executive function, memory, naming, and visuospatial abilities. The pooled results from the 608 enrolled participants provided solid evidence for the benefits of phototherapy with respect to global cognitive function. Moving on, considering that phototherapy comprises a generalized range of light-associated interventions, our ability or our study revealed varying effect sizes across different phototherapy subtypes. Near-infrared LED photobiomodulation and laser interventions showed larger effect sizes in alleviating cognitive deficits as compared with normal visible light. And so again, they're looking at phototherapy, which comprises all types of light, whereas photobiomodulation, for the most part, is red and near-infrared specific. So they're looking at all types of light, and again, they're honing in that near-infrared LED red light therapy seem to have some of the best effects when looking at alleviating cognitive deficits, especially, of course, when compared to normal visible light. Normal visible light includes some red, includes some near-infrared, but at a much smaller ratio or a much smaller amount or intensity compared to the high-powered or concentration, high concentration of red and near-infrared that we get from these LED devices. So moving on, So phototherapy, they engage cell-based chromophores and trigger downstream molecules and biochemical pathways in the mitochondrial respiratory chain to exert a therapeutic effect. In addition, photobiomodulation can alleviate perfusion levels by regulating regional brain blood flow. And we know that just like when we're hoping to alleviate anxiety or stress or depression, Improving blood flow to the frontal lobe of the brain seems to lead to some really positive benefits. And so they're noting that here, also with dementia, improving circulation to the brain seems to lead to positive results related to dementia. Moving on, they say that moreover, inhibition of amyloid development and amyloid beta-induced nerve cell apoptosis have been observed in animal and in vitro experiments using photobiomodulation. So essentially, using that near-infrared, that transcranial near-infrared treatment, you're able to reduce or prevent nerve cell death in the brain. And of course, the more cell death you have in the brain, the less pruning you have, that's a good thing. Because when you have increased detachments of nerve synapses, And when you have increased pruning, that's where you start losing memory. That's where you start losing cognitive function and capabilities. So if near-infrared can prevent or reverse or mitigate that, that's why I like to do brain treatments as a prophylactic treatment, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week. But still, even those one treatments on a semi-consistent basis, again, according to the research, is going to lead to some powerful effects. And I'm doing it from a preventative standpoint. And sure, there's probably some short-term benefits, so to speak, improving circulation to the brain can only be a good thing. But again, for me, it's more about that preventative aspect, preventing any type of brain or neurocognitive or neurodegenerative disease in my brain, because I know the brain is so mitochondrial dense 
that if I start falling into the trap of some type of mitochondrial dysfunction, the brain is going to be one of the first places that shows up because it's so mitochondrial dense. And we've been over that time and time again. But just a quick reminder, if you're looking for some ideas as far as how to use red light therapy and you're a relatively healthy person, doing a brain treatment on a semi-consistent basis, just like I like to treat my gut on a consistent basis and I treat my oral cavity on a consistent basis because I know the downstream effects of my entire body is going to be pretty powerful, especially from a longevity standpoint. I guess that's more so what I'm speaking from. But moving on here in the article, they go on to say that compared with bright light, the wavelengths in the red and near-infrared regions that are used in transcranial photobiomodulation are more suitable for neuromodulation with higher doses leading to deeper penetration depths and resulting in stronger neurobiological responses. Compared with lasers, LEDs have equally effective performance and substantial levels of power density with co-commentant advantages in safety and cost. And I've been over that maybe earlier in my podcast, and that comes from Dr. Michael Hamblin, who's regarded as one of the top photobiomodulation researchers. He has scoured the research, including his own research, and has determined that when you compare lasers and LEDs, you get comparable results. And so why wouldn't you want to use an LED that is safer and more cost-effective if you can get the same result as those with a laser? And you can cover a much larger surface area compared to that laser, which can only treat a very, very small section at a time. And then this is another interesting note I saw in the article. They said that although the circadian rhythm has emerged as a critical factor for patients with dementia, our meta-regression did not show preferred recommendations among morning, afternoon, or individualized rhythm. And that's relative to red light therapy treatments. So that's interesting. I know we've talked about timing before, especially in the eye, but this is saying that they didn't see any pattern and maybe there's just not enough research or there's not enough research looking at timing yet. But again, hopefully in the future, timing becomes a more important aspect that's considered with red light therapy because we do know there seems to be a timing mechanism, especially in the eye and likely in the entire body. So in conclusion, Phototherapy is a promising non-pharmacological option associated with cognitive improvement in patients with dementia. This meta-analysis suggests that near-infrared LED photobiomodulation and laser therapy may have advantages over normal visible light in terms of the associations with cognitive improvements in dementia. Domain-specific effects were statistically significant for attention, executive function, and working memory. The association between phototherapy and short-term cognitive improvement is supported, while the benefits and long-term follow-up seem to be limited. So optimal dosing and population-specific effects with regard to dementia severity and other modulating factors need to be clarified for informing the effective administration of precise individualized phototherapy in the future. And so, that's somewhat a similar conclusion to the previous article, We know that there's positive effects in cancer patients that use red light therapy. We know there's positive effects for those with dementia using transcranial near-infrared light photobiomodulation therapy. But going forward, we need to fine-tune the dosing. We need to fine-tune to the parameters, whether it's timing or like they're saying, population-specific. So more or less segment different dementia populations, meaning the severity, maybe low severity, moderate severity, very severe cases of dementia, because those are going to require different dosages and different protocols. 
And like we said, timing, like they said, dementia severity and other modulating factors need to be clarified. So again, we're in this place in time right now with a photobiomodulation research where we're getting positive results. We know that. We have a general understanding of what wavelengths, what general dosages, what general frequencies to get these positive effects. And in, in general, we are getting positive effects. But again, going forward in these next handful of years, we need to fine-tune the timing. We need to segment different populations within a disease or within a, a health condition because different severities, just like acute pain versus chronic pain, those are completely different protocols in terms of dosages and frequencies and how long it takes to see positive results. We're kind of in a very exciting time where as consumers, we know we can use this light, this this seemingly mystical wavelengths of red and near infrared to get these amazing results in our body from a healing standpoint. So we don't necessarily need to wait for the research to utilize it. But as the research does come out in the future, having these fine-tuned and these individualized protocols will be a positive for sure. But again, we're in a pretty good time and place from a consumer standpoint as far as utilizing red light therapy. So very exciting. So with that, guys, um, I'm going to wrap things up this week. Uh, we covered two articles a little more thoroughly in, in some pretty exciting topics. Again, not necessarily directly applicable to everyone, but the information within each article and the principles can be applied or, or can be applicable to everyone that's interested in using red light therapy. So I hope you're you know, as excited and intrigued by this research as I am. And going forward with, like I said before, with these solo sodes, I'll continue to do these research snack or research renditions, if you will, uh, because I think it is important to not only inform you guys what the new research is talking about, like health conditions, but within these articles, there's great information that applies to the general principles of red light therapy and, and can really inform you and give you confidence in how to use your, your red light therapy treatments or protocols or what have you. So the more information you have, the more insight you have, the more well-rounded your education is on a certain topic is only going to make you stronger and smarter as far as utilizing something such as technology, the technology of red light therapy. So again, thank you guys all for listening and supporting this podcast. I appreciate all of you as always. If you would take a quick 15 to 30 seconds to just leave a quick five-star review on iTunes or on Spotify, I would genuinely appreciate it and be grateful for your time to do so. The more reviews that this podcast can get means that the higher it could potentially rank, which is not for me, it's not an ego thing. It's more so that more people will be able to find this podcast and learn and gain knowledge in this area of red light therapy, which is still so very, very young. But the more people that can learn about the potential healing capacities of red light therapy, the better. The more people that know about red light therapy, I think we just become a healthier world. And not just red light therapy, but the healing potential of light in general, just the power of light. Because really, for the first 90, 95% of my life, I didn't give light, you know, two thoughts in terms of my health. But that has completely changed as I've learned more about the healing abilities of the sun, full spectrum sunlight, and of course, red light therapy and other wavelengths of light, which I'm, we'll get to in the future, I'm sure. But again, if, if you could leave a quick five-star review on Apple or Spotify, again, more people can learn about this information and improve their health and wellness through the wonders of red light therapy. But as always, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your week. Really, Thanksgiving's right around the corner. Black Friday, holiday season, Christmas, New Year's, and pretty soon we're going to be singing the praises of 2023. But, but until then, enjoy the rest of your week. Be well. 
And as always, light up your health. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Report. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolight.shop and our YouTube channel, Biolight. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode. 